So we're continuing on in our series. We're going to be in Genesis 45. If you are able to stand, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Genesis 45, 1 through 15. There's some guys coming down the aisles with some Bibles. If you need a Bible, just uh, wave at them. And uh, they'll be happy to give you one. It's your Bible to keep forever if you need one. We're going to be in Genesis uh, 45, verse 1 through 15. And it reads, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you. To keep you and your families alive and to preserve many saviors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me and all of your children and grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everything you own. I will take care of you there. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourself. And so my brother, so can my brother Benjamin that I am really Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began to talk freely with him. Let's pray. God, we come before you. We are so thankful for your forgiveness through the display of forgiveness, of grace and mercy that we just read, Lord, through the story of Joseph. What a wonderful series it's been because of your word that we see in the Old Testament. You, Lord. We see in the New Testament you. We see in our lives you. Lord, I just pray now that as we uh, talk about forgiveness, we see the display of forgiveness, that you prepare our hearts to forgive those that we haven't forgiven. Or to ask for forgiveness to those that we need to ask for forgiveness, Lord. But most of all, thank you for your forgiveness unto us, Lord. I pray now that you use me however you want. I pray that I say what you want me to say and I don't what, that, what you don't want me to say, Lord. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. It's finally here. We finally, after all of these weeks, see forgiveness live, right? This is what we've been waiting for, finally. If I were to open up uh, a time where people would come and share um, for all the wrong and awful situations someone has done for you, I would imagine the line would be out the door, right? Um, And even if I had an opportunity where we just came up and shared forgiveness, hopefully that line would be a lot longer. 
And, and, and unhappiness, in, in many ways, can find itself rooted in never experiencing genuine forgiveness and freely given forgiveness. Um, I sent out the, the email, the, the, the draw to come to service, as if you need to draw the service. And the question that I asked was, um, is this where Joseph forgave his brothers? And hopefully as we walk through this, we'll see, you know, he, he forgave his brothers a lot longer bef- before he actually saw them. And, and hopefully as we go through this, we'll see that the way that he responds here that we just read is because he had forgiven his brothers a lot long before that. That grace and mercy that he's, he's showing and we'll go through it and happened before he ever faced that. And, and, and even that, that is a message all on its own. This week as I was preparing for the message, I was thinking, man, this forgiveness could be a five-week series. Maybe we'll get there one day. But um, So I'm going to talk to you for about three hours, if that's okay. Just kidding. Um, but forgiveness. I mean, as soon as you say the word forgiveness, as soon as you read through this, think about all of the emotions that it already just oozes out of you, right? Some of you are immediately go to how forgiven you are. Some of you immediately think of someone you should ask for forgiveness. Some of you think um, that someone needs that someone needs to come to you and apologize. Uh, maybe even some of you are sitting right there and thinking, well, don't tell me to forgive because I'm not going to forgive. I mean, you won't say that out loud. You'll put it in a nice package and say, well, you don't understand, you don't know. And you're right, I don't understand and I don't know, but I do know how important forgiveness is. And I know that unforgiveness leads to unhappiness and it roots itself and it goes in and we don't really get to experience full forgiveness if we don't. So I was going back through and, and, and I, and it's been a year now that we, almost a year now, and you know that I like to sit and stew on things for a while and, I, and, and God speaks to me directly through situations and I write them all down so that way they're good sermon illustrations. I don't know why, but... Um, I was going through that and I was thinking about all of the times that I had to ask for forgiveness. Well, after I got to like page 10, I was like, oh, this is awful. Let's get out of here, right? Um, And then I was thinking about uh, all the times that uh, someone forgave me or I forgave someone and that list was going. And then I was really spending a lot of time thinking about when was a time, a moment in my life where I experienced grace like I had never experienced before, forgiveness before. And, you know, I was going through different times and uh, it, may, it may be hard to imagine, but people have had to forgive me a lot in my life. Um, I feel like I should apologize to my mom every time I talk to her on the phone for all the things I've done. Um, but I blame my brother. So, um, But one of the things, I, I think the first time that I, I, I experienced forgiveness without asking for forgiveness with it given freely, was not at a church, not at school, not at this great Bible study. He was in a, in a hockey game, and I, and I know that I talk about hockey almost as much as Jesus, so I apologize to Jesus about that. But, um, but I remember this game when I, when I was 18 years old, and, and you know, I, a senior in high school, and we were playing hockey, and it was a time in my life where many of you have already experienced, or you guys in the back, you gals in the back, will experience where graduation is upon you. And you realize that you're planned for your life and you think you got it narrowed down and there's some disruptions in your life. And you think, what am I going to do? Graduation is coming and I think I have a plan, but I'm freaking out here. I don't know if that was you, but 
that was, that was it for me. So anyways, we were playing in the game and we were playing in this tournament and we were playing against a team that was better than us by every way possible. It was like we were playing the recorder against someone who was playing a full big band. I mean, it was so bad. It was so awful. And after uh, halfway through the second period, there's three periods in hockey. There's your lesson. Uh, we were losing 12 to zero. And that's bad. I don't know if you, that's awful. That's not a good thing. And I'm play goalie. So, you know, I'm feeling great. Um, and it was, it was, it was so much fun, humility. No, uh, it was awful. They had more goals than we actually touched the puck. Like I can't express, and they were a lot younger than us. Cause we were, you know, 17, 18 and they were 14, 15, 16 year olds and they owned us and they were so cocky. So that just, you know, if, if I had the ability to break a stick and pay for it, I would have, but I didn't cause I was poor. So. I just yelled. Anyway, so they scored their 13th goal, and I yelled at the referee. And, and I'm not a cusser or a cursor, but I say really mean things. So, and, I could, and I won't share with you everything I say because I want you to still like me. Um, but I told him how awful his eyesight was and how his family doesn't like him. Okay? Um, yeah. And, uh, and he told me, watch it, Jackson, or I'll kick you out. And I was like, that's an idea. That wouldn't be so bad because, I mean, they're about to score another 20 and, you know. So I yelled at him some more and then he just skated by and he said, just, just watch your mouth. The horn went off and we went back to the bench. And uh, then I was feeling really bad because uh, it's not his fault that we are awful and these kids are good. And, and then I skated over to him, which, which you're not supposed to do, but I skated over. I asked my coach, can I skate over? And he said, why, are you trying to get kicked out? Well, not anymore, you know. Uh, so I skated over to the ref and I said, hey, I just wanted to apologize. He said, I forgave you the moment it came out of your mouth. What? I, I, no, that's fine. You're fine. I know that you guys are awful, but uh, <laughs> I forgave you. Soon. I, knew, I knew you didn't mean it. And even if you did, I forgave you. Soon. And you know, I, I cried because I'm a crier. And crying in hockey, you can't cry in baseball, but you can in hockey apparently. But... Um, but I cried because I didn't even get to ask him for forgiveness. And then I got ticked off at him because I was like, you didn't even let me talk. Like you just forgave me. Later on, I realized something about that moment. Um, I was upset and ticked off at him, not because I didn't get to apologize. It's because he showed me God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness. And that would mean I would have to, too. That would mean I would have to start forgiving people before they even ask. Before the words, even when the words come out or their actions come out, I would have to forgive. And it's been a journey to forgive like that. And all those mean things that I said about he wasn't a good ref and his family hates him and all these other things that I said bad about him. Well, he's a professional referee now traveling the world doing international stuff. So he's pretty good. Um, But that forgiveness that he showed me well before I realized that he forgave me, well before I even asked, and while I was still sinning against him, he forgave me. And that is forgiveness. That is God's grace. And, I, and, and in my own way, that was my Joseph's experience. That was, I was a brother in that situation and I was forgiven. So as we go through this and we ask that question, when did Joseph actually forgive his brothers? I would say as soon as it happened, as soon as it took 
place. So as we break through, break down the, the, the passage that we read, hopefully we'll see this and we'll see God throughout this. So again, at the beginning, Joseph could no longer stand it in verse one. There were many people in the room and, and he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he, when he told them who he was. And uh, just a side note real quick. Um, I had shared last week that I went on a trip and then my wife uh, reminded me that I can't be so vague in what my trip is and assuming everybody's in my head. But just in case you didn't know, uh, I was blessed with a trip to go to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. And one of the, there were so many great things and I don't know how to convey it and hopefully the Lord will reveal how we can share it and experience that all together. But one of the most amazing things that I saw when I was in Egypt is I saw hieroglyphics of Joseph and his 11 brothers coming to him. And there it was, the story was alive. Although the Egyptians had it a little bit different, how they were kind of the hero in all of it, it didn't matter. There was Joseph, and there was the 11 brothers, and there was the act of forgiveness. And then the hieroglyphics would stay and state that this, this portion, it was almost like reading scripture, that Joseph kicked out the attendants. And there it was, I can't read hieroglyphics, but I can tell the pictures, and our guy was telling us, and the word, out all of you, was there. It was amazing. But, but to look at that, he, he was alone with his brothers, it says. And when he told them who he was, um, uh, verse 2, it says, Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And, and word, uh, uh, word out of it got carried to Pharaoh's palace. And verse 3, in Hebrew. Because remember, at the time, he was using an interpreter because he was keeping who he was under wraps. And it says, I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Because forgiveness began in his heart long ago. For, Joseph had forgiven his brothers um, before, he, before they even asked for it. And here he is. He, he stands up. He says who it is. He's, and, and, and here he is. And he breaks down. And he's weeping. And he's crying. He says, I am Joseph. And it's in Hebrew. And I can only imagine and think what the brothers would have thought. Wait, what? Like the shock. Now what's going to happen? That, that would have been me. Oh, I remember. Oh, he's got, we're dead. Like off with, that's how I, I would just imagine it. And here he is. And, 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 and we're going to spend the next time, this next couple of moments just looking at how he responds. He reveals himself in Hebrew. He speaks Hebrew for the first time. I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, the first thing is my father still alive. And then verse four, he says, please come closer. He said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Verse five, don't be be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Yes, it's me. And, and it may sound slightly, hey, you sold me into slavery. But he's not saying that. He's saying that to, to identify that it is really Joseph. In the original language, it, it, the words are saying like a historical event without feeling. He's just sharing what happens. Like it's really me. Remember, you sold me uh, into slavery, into Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. So this is forgiveness on a way bigger level. 
Not only has he forgiven him, not only has he not beat them up over it, he's saying this happened for your sake because of how good God is. Now, that's forgiveness. To preserve your lives. There's not even a hint of being upset. Just review the details real quick. Um, He doesn't say, let me go line by line of all the bad things that you did. I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I'm forgiving someone, I like to let them know all that I'm forgiving them. And I tend to be an exaggerator like that much. So, you know, you punched me twice. Wait, wait, wait. I only punched you kind of once, you know. I like to exaggerate. He doesn't go line by line, list by list of all the bad things. He didn't say, you never liked me. Just because I was dad's favorite, it wasn't my fault. He doesn't go through all that. You sold me in the pit. I heard you discussing what you were going to do with me. I was sold into slavery and sold into slavery. And don't even let me start what happened whenever I got thrown into prison. He doesn't do that. And as Christians, believers in Christ, we understand that forgiveness of our sins is not earned. And it is Christ who paid that penalty for us. And that's grace. Yet at times we come to the point where we treat people as if they need to earn our forgiveness. It may not be you, but that's how I act sometimes. Just to be clear, forgiveness doesn't mean that we're not hurt anymore. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month ago or so, I talked about it. And some people were sharing about, oh, I'm still hurt. Well, yeah, you may be hurt for the rest of your life. The memory, the thought of it may still hurt. When you forgive someone, it's not taking away that hurt. It also doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It also doesn't mean that it wasn't awful. It doesn't mean that the other person wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the relationship will be restored to exactly how it was before. Maybe. Hopefully, but that's not what that means. Some of you are, are, are not allowed, I understand, by law or for your own safety of your life to have a relationship with that person who hurts you. Restraining orders, prison, whatever it is. But that's not what forgiveness is all about. It, it, it really is a relationship. And if God sees fit to grant you that opportunity to see them face to face, to forgive them, it is important to understand that all that emotions and all that is taking place is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is an act of grace, regardless of how you feel. So, and, and so I wrote this out and about the problem with keeping someone or withholding your forgiveness of someone. Um, The way, if you don't forgive someone, it's kind of like keeping them, at least in your mind, in your heart and soul, in prison. If you don't forgive someone, you're like keeping them in prison. And a lot of times that person doesn't even know you put them in prison. I know that's been my experience whenever I get around and I have a conversation with someone, they're like, you mean you've been upset that long? I didn't even know. And then to come to realize that I had kept this person as, as a prisoner in my mind. The problem with keeping someone in, you, in prison in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, is that someone needs to be the prison guard. And that someone is you. And a lot of times we're keeping people in prison. They're not even in there. The person who's the prisoner is us. Because we are the ones that are standing at that gate, at that lock, And keeping them prisoner. We are the prison guards. I'm going to make sure that I'm upset with you. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to keep you there because that's what you deserve. 
And we may not say that out loud, but that's what takes place. But even to go a little bit further into that, sometimes we can get into a point where, okay, I forgive you. You're out of the prison, but now I'm going to be your probation officer. We go from the the prison guard to the probation officer, which means we remind them all the time of what they've done. And I'm not saying that's what probation officers necessarily do, but we have a regular check-in time. We haven't truly forgiven. We've let them out of prison, but we remind them every opportunity we got. We wait for them to show proof that they have truly repented before we forgive. And and some of the commentary, some of the people... uh, Messages as I was reading, they kind of hint that Joseph wouldn't have forgiven his brothers if he hadn't seen this change, which we discussed, this repentance, this 180 degrees. If he had already forgiven them well before that, it didn't matter. The fruit of the forgiveness is that he got to witness the repentance. And I think sometimes for us, we're waiting for this proof that actually has already taken place. But we're so stuck on making sure they know that we forgave them. Or, uh, as a kid, um, my brother and I, as brothers do, have, would have knocked down fighting wars where we'd have to lock each other in a room for our own safety. Uh, you can judge me if you want to, but that's how, that's how we rolled. And, um, but there was a point where we started to forgive each other, but we looked for opportunities to get back at each other. I forgive you, but I'm going to get you. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll double up what you did. It's that whole probation officer. I'm going to check in. I'm going to uh, constantly be watching you, um, waiting for my opportunity, waiting for you to mess up again. So that way you have to ask for forgiveness again. That's not what we see here with Joseph. But why is Joseph able to, it would seem, not even care? I would suggest that he cares so much. And that's why he's able to do it. Let's just take a look at verse 5 real quick. Uh, notice that he, he, he didn't say, God sent me here. Um, and it was the, the whole time God was sustaining me. Uh, God used this bad for me. Uh, he brought me out of this. He doesn't say that. Of course God did that. Absolutely God did that. And he recognized that. But God sent me here for you. God used this awful situation For your sake. And then he goes on in verse 6. It says, The famine had ravaged the land for two years, and it will last more years, and there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. So now he's saying, this this famine is not over. In verse 7 he goes on, he says, God has sent me, again, his recognition of sovereign God, God in control. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. So it it was God... Who sent me here, not you. It was God who did it. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. The manager of this entire palace. And the governor of all Egypt. Verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and tell him. This is what your son Joseph said. God has made me master over all of the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen. When you can... uh, You can... uh, Can be near me with all of your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and everything you own. God has made me. God has sent me. It wasn't you. His recognition of that God can take an awful situation, uh, things that people do that are awful to you, 
That doesn't surprise God. He's not shocked by it. Does his heart break over it? Absolutely. But he used it. And it was God who does that and sent it. And we can quickly read over verse 10. And I, I just want to spend a little bit of time of that. You, you can live in the region of Goshen. So imagine he's excited. I just imagine Joseph is so excited. saying, And then we can do this. And it'll be great. And sleepovers. Like, like he's excited for it. And he says, and you can live in the region of Goshen. Where you can be near me with all of your children and grandchildren. Your flocks and your... Goshen, we, we might read over it. But Goshen is the most fertile land in all of Egypt. It's where the Nile River comes down from the delta and it's green. And it's probably at this time during the famine, the source where there's only a little bit of water left. Because earlier the, the Pharaoh had given Joseph the best of the land. And he's saying, you can come with me. We can, you can have everything that you need. I'm going to take care of you. So all these bad things, don't worry about that. I forgive you. Now come join me in the best land. And that word Goshen, it actually means what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this fertile land? And what does Joseph do with it? He takes them. So when Joseph's getting ready to retire from his second in command, he's going to retire with the brothers, just in case you forgot, beat him, lied to his dad, threw him in a pit, sold him, almost killed him, but didn't because they felt bad. And all of this happened So that way God could eventually use Joseph to save his brothers. And that's where the line of Jesus comes from. Judea. Judah. Excuse me. His language. It was God. I really think people around us need to see forgiveness. That we live as forgiven people. And that we give forgiveness out. I think part of our testimony. A huge part. And I I don't want to give a percentage. But. A very large part of our testimony has to be the way that we live as forgiven people and the way that we forgive. I think they need to see us acting and living like we are forgiven people because we are and the forgiveness of others, not just those who wronged us. I think sometimes, at least for me, I think about forgiveness only in the perspective of myself. That sounds very selfish. I only think of forgiveness as me forgiving someone who wronged me or perhaps wronged my wife or my children or my friends or my church, like my little area. That's how I forgiveness. I would suggest that we can forgive people that have not wronged us. I think if we can come along people who have made awful bad decisions in their life and not just say, I forgive you for what you've done, even though it has nothing to do for, to me. But here, let me help you with where you're at. I think we see this played out beautifully at the Modesto Pregnancy Center and other places like that. Some of these women and, and, and their boyfriends or husbands um, who have had past abortions, they didn't abort me. They didn't abort you. We may not even know their story, but yet we love them and we tell them of a Savior who loves them and forgives them. That's showing them. That's giving them forgiveness. I was reading a story about this pastor and his family back east uh, about 50 years ago. Um, Prostitution was huge uh, in his uh, area. And uh, he and his wife would go to the corner where a lot of them were working. And uh, 
sharing the gospel. And he talks about how it just wasn't working. No one wants to hear that when they're in the middle of it. But he said that we found these two girls that we found out they had no place to live. So we invited them to live with us and their children. And he goes on and says, imagine that. Pastor and his wife has two prostitutes living at home with him and his children. He said, we showed them forgiveness and they hadn't even sinned against us. They've eventually turned their lives around in school, got education, on and on and on. So we can forgive people who haven't even wronged us. That's what people need to see. They need to see us as forgiven people. Uh, Let me help you despite your bad mistakes. Show forgiveness to people who's not wronged us at all. And I know there might be some of you in here who are very black and white. You like your numbers lined up. You probably eat your M&Ms by colors and rows and all that kind of stuff. I'm not picking on you. A little bit maybe I am. Uh, But you would say we need to be good stewards of our money, of our time, which I completely agree with. But it's interesting that God's resources that he has blessed us with, I don't think being good stewards means we withdraw our forgiveness to other people. I mean, if, if I look back over my life, I can, I can do the same thing. There have been people who forgave me, who helped me, who did so much for me. I would be considered a bad investment. I really would. If I look back at all of the sports I played for free because I was poor, all of the people who bought me lunch uh, because I grew up and not had a father, I couldn't pay them back. All that investment, I would be in bad investment. I really would. I would not. If you were teaching Good Stewart 101, you would say, avoid Jackson here. Right? The resources. But, but what it is, is, is we are assuming that forgiveness is limited if we think we have to be good stewards of our forgiveness. It's unlimited through Christ. Being a person who comes along someone and says, how can I help you? How can I show you that God forgave you? That's what we can. And in verse 11, it goes on. It says, I will take, Joseph here, I will take care of you there in Goshen. For there are five years of famine ahead of you. Otherwise, you and your household and all of your animals will starve. He says this in such a way because, you know, sometimes there are those people who says, I don't want your charity. I don't want your help. I don't need your forgiveness. On and on and on, think about it. He's saying, he, he's pleading to them, because he still knows his brothers. It's been 20-something years. He still knows his brothers, and I'm assuming half of them are like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm feeling too guilty to accept your forgiveness. So then he includes, he adds, otherwise you and your household and all of your animals will starve. Now he's saying, I'm not only offering this to you, but think of the impact that this forgiveness will have on everything. And this is really the aftermath and really telling of what Joseph's dreams were. Just real quick, back all the way back in Genesis 37, a couple of months ago when we started out, when he had these dreams. In verse 7 and 9, if you remember the dreams, verse 7 it says, We were out in the field. This is Joseph saying it. He was telling it to his brothers. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all all gathered around and bowed low before me. Do you remember that story? He told them. And the brothers were upset. Oh, you're going to be the king over us. Oh, you're going to rule us. 
Well, as a matter of fact, I am. But that's not what that means. What he's saying is, is there's going to be such a famine that you're not going to have anything, that you're going to come bow down to me, not because you're my servants. It's because I'm going to show you forgiveness. Again, he says it in verse 9. He says, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down low before me. That's when his father's like, you think we're all going to bow down before you? No, it means this, this, this dream that he had, this interpretation, isn't something of a master over his slaves. It's he's a provider of forgiveness and nourishment. In the wilderness that, he, that Joseph experienced, in the wilderness of the pit, in the wilderness of jail, in the wilderness of being sold into slavery, in the wilderness in our own life, you know, when we go through a season of wilderness that seems hard, it's not so that way... Once we get out of the wilderness, we understand if we've been Christian for like a half a day, we kind of start to grasp this idea that God uses the wilderness, these hard times to shape us, to mold us, to prepare for us. But not so that way when we get to the land of the, the promised land, like Moses and the Israelites were promised, so we can rest there. It's so we can get to work there. It's so that way we can start to serve there. So God took Joseph through this wilderness, this awful time. So not when he gets to this high position where he could say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. It's an opportunity for him to get to work. So once we all come out of a wilderness, and some of you are probably in a wilderness right now. It's not so that way one time when we finally get out of the wilderness, oh, we could breathe. It's so that way our lenses are corrected so we could see how God can use that. We actually don't rest until we get to heaven. But that's for another message for another time. But the repentance of the brothers, I don't think Joseph would have seen that again if he hadn't already forgiven before. So verse 12, it says, Then Joseph added, Look, you can see for yourself, so, so can my brother Benjamin, that I am really Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you've seen and then bring my father here quickly. There's a lot of debate whether he showed if he was circumcised or not. I don't know. Um, I believe uh, old Egyptian time they were doing circumcision. I don't think that really matters. You can get in the weeds of that. I think he simply brought him in. They saw him face to face in the eyes and saw truly it was their brother. Then... Verse 14, weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely. I wonder what they would have said. I wonder how long this process of this conversation would have went on. We tend to be a type of people, just get to the point. Give me a list. Give me the cliff notes if possible. As a matter of fact, if you have any shortcuts, that'd be great too. That's why it was kind of, I even struggled the last several weeks or so. Well, come on, Joseph, hurry up and reveal yourself. And then I only had myself to blame because I'm the one who chopped up this Bible in this way. I made David and Chris do all the hard work. And then I get all the, the easy one to talk about this. But that's how we want. We want the immediate gratifications. People generally ask me after a message or a study of forgiveness, something to the effect of, so do you think I should forgive this person because... Here's a list of what they did. Or they say, you don't understand. I have forgiven them several times. But uh, how many times do I need to forgive them? And, and uh, we see this in Peter, don't we, in the Gospel of Matthew? Remember, Peter sure likes to toot his own horn. I, 
I really like Peter. He's like, oh, I get it. Let me say something really smart so I sound good. And he's totally wrong. And then Jesus has to say, oh, poor Peter. You're like an idiot. I mean, like, Jesus doesn't say that, but it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. That's for sure. But, but Peter, he's like, oh, I get it. Because uh, in uh, Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about forgiveness and he's doing it. And then Peter's feeling pretty proud of himself. Verse 21, it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Because seven in that time was like a good number. He's like, I got this. And then Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations, seven times 10. Whatever. So he's like, oh, good try, Peter, but up the ante. Because what Peter was trying to do is what we tried to do. Give me a number so I can hit that number. So I can have a little checklist. Okay, I forgave you seven times. Thank you for your service. You're out. I'm done with you. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it's not the number of times. It's a matter of the heart. Peter's asking like us, what's my limit? How many times must I ask for forgiveness? And Jesus says, you're missing the whole point. It's a matter of the heart. And I have noticed in my own life that I at times have to forgive people all over again. I don't know if you've ever been there. Someone has wronged me. I forgave them. And then a couple of years, a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, whatever it is, I find myself having to forgive them again. Uh, and it's truly by God's grace. Um, so just quickly, I, I grew up without my biological father. He was a bad dude, had separate life, different... His last name was not, his name wasn't even a real name. It was a mess. I'd share it with you sometime. Um, and I forgave him very early on. I remember that. I accepted Christ when I was in second grade. And somewhere up to junior high, I learned to forgive. I thought I learned to forgive. I forgave him. Because um, it really didn't have an impact on me, I, I come to realize. More of my mom and then later through that, I forgave him. And, and, and I could talk about it openly and freely. No, I didn't. Uh, know my biological dad. The only thing I know of him is a picture, but that's who keeps a picture of a stranger. You know, it's like one of those deals. And I thought I was good until about eight years ago, maybe seven years ago, I was having a conversation with my children, writer Aria and Nora. And we were talking about omas and opas. That's that's for grandmas and grandpas. That's the cool side of Natalie. Um, and uh, talking about that. And then they asked, Dad, you have a mom. Why don't you have a dad? That was the first time in like 30 years I was mad at my biological dad. Because how dare you wrong my children of having another grandfather. I mean, not as cool as an opa, but at least a grandfather. I was so upset about that. I had to forgive him all over again. He had been dead for 17 years. So sometimes... We think we're good. We think we have forgiven someone and a whole different situation comes out. More information comes out. In my case, the impact of my children not having a second grandfather comes out. And I had to forgive all over again. I couldn't wait for him to ask forgiveness. I hadn't seen him since I was four. To forgive there. Immediately. And not the whole fake forgiveness, agree to disagree. We'll shake hands and be done. We see how bad that took place between Jacob and Esau. They never really forgave each other. They just was like, we're good. And the impact that that had. Now here, can you imagine if Joseph just told his brothers, we're good. We're fine. Hope to never see you again. 
I don't know how God, God still is God's, God's plan would still, we'd still have a savior, but it wouldn't have come through the line of Judah, who is the direct line. If Judah didn't come with his whole family and the 11 brothers didn't come to Goshen, I don't know what would have happened there. So if Joseph would have just simply said, we're good, what would I have done? And, and he didn't say, hey, go home and tell dad how bad you were, how wrong you were, or any of that. Uh, I have a quote here. I think I was probably supposed to read it earlier. I'm so professional. But um, Corey Ten Boone said, Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. When people see how you forgive, I think that's when they truly get glimpses of Jesus. You don't, I, I just can't imagine reading this story now that we know the story of Joseph not forgiving his brothers, can you? How, how much good comes from forgiveness? And for some of us, we could just say, oh, it's easy for Joseph to forgive because of the position that he was in and he worked his way up. I think And I truly believe that even if Joseph was still in that jail cell or in that pit, he would have already forgiven his brothers. So I've asked the worship team, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up um, to play for us here. But I just want to give us an opportunity to right where you're at, forgive someone. I'm not going to have this big parade of forgiveness. Today we are having communion get to that in a moment, but just a couple of points um, that I put together from people, from commentators, and I just kind of put it together and I titled it, Understanding the Nature of Forgiveness. And if you're a note taker, you can take notes. If, if not, you just want to listen to it. I just want you to hear this before I ask all of us to consider one or two or ten or whatever the number is of people that we need to forgive. So number one, understanding the nature of forgiveness, number one, is to recognize that we are all debtors to Christ. You know, whenever we say the prayer, forgive us as we forgive others, sometimes I think if you initially just go through it, we think God's going to forgive us if we forgive others. And truly, no, that's not true. We forgive others because he first forgave us. You forgive us. Our only, res- our only response, God, is since you forgave us, is to forgive others. The second one to help us understand the nature of forgiveness is we cannot pay our own debts. So if we are debtors to Christ, we cannot pay our own debts. That is what Jesus did. In other words, we can't base any of our good deeds that we've done as if we earned it. Because if we start to do that, then we silently give ourselves permission not to forgive. Number three, Jesus' atoning sacrifice is how our debt has been paid for. He also did so for those who have wronged you and wronged me. He not only had the atoning sacrifice for me, but he did it for those who wronged you. And fourth, of understanding the nature of forgiveness, recognizing who paid our debt gives us freedom to forgive freely. Number five, I like how Alistair Begg wrote this. He said, it shouldn't be too difficult for those who have been forgiven to forgive in turn. 
For what we owe God is infinitely more than what those who hurt us owe us. Number six, unforgiveness is a punishment unto ourselves. So right now, just if you take a moment, um, I'm just going to ask you to silently pray by yourself and ask God to reveal to you anyone that you need to forgive. The worship team will play and then I will come and I'll pray for that. So if you join me, you can close your eyes, whatever you feel comfortable with, and just take a few moments to ask God to reveal to you who you haven't really forgiven. Let's go ahead and do that now. Just consider that. So God, we ask you to for help us forgive the unforgivable. Lord, to recognize that uh, we were unforgivable, but yet you forgave us. Lord, I pray for anybody in here that is struggling with forgiveness, the hurt, the pain, Lord. Again, we recognize that the pain doesn't necessarily go away, the wrong doesn't go away, but yet we forgive them because we don't want to be keeping them in a jail being a probation officer. We're not truly forgiving. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone in here who needs to forgive someone again because of new information or just a new sense of hurt or feeling or perhaps even the Christmas season has brought about hard feelings, Lord, I just pray that you help us forgive, Lord. Now just take a moment just to pray silently by yourself to thank God for forgiving you. If you're a Christian and you have experienced his grace, love, and mercy, just thank him for that silently. If you're a Christian here this morning and you haven't done so, we'll we'll pray that too. Forgiveness starts in the heart. It's not an action. It's not an action before it starts in the heart. So go ahead and spend some time just thanking God for his grace and mercy. God, you are so good and you're so graceful, so merciful to forgive us, Lord. And thank you for your son that died on the cross for our sins, Lord. And what an unbelievable gift, Lord. 
Thank you so much for not treating us the way that we treat people with our inability to forgive sometimes or our delayed forgiveness, Lord. Thank you that you did that without delay, without stumbling, without any consideration of anything else, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that it's not that we have just simply been forgiven. It's that you bore our sins on that cross so that way we may be free. That, that atoning moment, at that moment that we accept this precious gift in our hearts, Lord. You forgave us and we get to spend eternity with you. And Lord, while we are here on this earth, let us be agents of forgiveness. Let us just forgive without considerations, Lord. We know there's a lot of follow-up that needs to take place, accountability and all that, but that's, it doesn't, it starts with forgiveness and we, you showed us how to do that. Lord, I pray for anybody in here that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord. I just, as it says in Romans, that we confess, we, we confess in our heart and then confess with our mouths, Lord. We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths, Lord, that you are Lord. And that's what we want to do, Lord. So if there's anyone in here that, that hasn't experienced your grace, this forgiveness that we were talking about, this forgiveness that we see that Joseph gave to his brothers who didn't deserve it, and that's the beauty of your forgiveness, Lord reminded of the thief on the cross while you were there and he cried out to you for don't forget me and he was in paradise with God it's that simple Lord